The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I'm Maura Ahrens-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who've dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they pick themselves up, and how they hope workplaces can change in the future. All right, everyone, it's time to start season two. Now, for those of you new to the show, we have a point of view around here. Anxiety is normal. It's a part of leadership, and it just might help you succeed. I wanted to open season two with an anxiety hero. Gabrielle Union is an actress who you all know, whether from her TV show Being Mary Jane or classics I grew up with were about the same age, like Bring It On. Gabrielle is also a New York Times bestselling author and an advocate for reproductive rights, sexual assault survivors, and the LGBTQ community. I invited her on the show to explore some themes that you told me you wanted to hear about, like how does PTSD affect social anxiety and our relationships at work and beyond? What toll does a lifetime of trying not to offend people in power have on your mental health? And what's the impact of a toxic workplace on our mental health? Gabrielle Union is a hero to many of us who've experienced toxic workplaces and decided we just wouldn't stand for it anymore. In spring 2019, Union and her co-host Juliana Huff joined America's Got Talent's 14th season as judges, replacing Mel B. and Heidi Klum. But their tenure didn't last long. In November, Variety published a report alleging Union's contract was not renewed after she had urged the show's producers to report an incident involving a racist joke and after she was told her hairstyles on the show were, quote, too black. Union took a risk and stood up on behalf of many people who've been victims of a toxic work environment. Gabrielle Union joined us recently to look at these issues and more, from being labeled difficult to managing fame as someone with PTSD, and why being alone sometimes and making lists make her feel really good. So, Gabrielle, I, I want to start. How would you define a toxic workplace in your mind, in your experience? You know, I've been in so many. I've been in uh, the entertainment industry for, geez, 25 years. Mm. Thank you for that reminder. Ooh, <laughs> since I'm only 26. Um, yeah, so for 25 years, um, I've worked in the entertainment industry at a lot of different intersections. Um, you know, when I first started, I was a college student, very, you know, bottom of the totem pole. I was working at the bookstore at UCLA. And, you know, when I first started, that toxic work environment was loud and blatant and obvious. And the mistreatment was, they dared you to to challenge them in a way that you knew not to. So whether that be the overt sexism, the straight up, you know, what are you going to do for me in order for you to have an opportunity just straight mm -hmm. up in a way that it, it you'd think it doesn't exist it now. It was really like that. Blatant um, 
and this would have been 95. Yeah. You know, so you imagine what it would have been, you know, in, in you know, the, when Hollywood first just, you know, first started. The, the, the amount of privilege that comes with abusive behavior is wild. I, I don't even know if I have the right words. It was just open, obvious. Like unapologetic, right? That was, that was uh, my unapologetic. You, you and I are about the same age. Like unapologetic. Yeah, there was, it was just a part of, you know, it was a Tuesday. It wasn't <laughs> anything that, that stood out. It wasn't anything that anyone whispered about. It was just like, I'm doing this to you and you're going to take it if you want this opportunity or if you want your check to clear or if you want the next job. Right. It's just what it is. And in your industry, how is what happened, and, and you know, talk about this as much as you want to, how was what happened to you with America's Got Talent both different and similar to what you might have experienced 20 years ago. I mean, what has changed and what hasn't? I wish I had a, a, a resolution um, mm. and, and I, could, I could be more clear about um, that situation. What I can say in, in relation to that experience not being that unique, um, mm. that it's quite common, you know, with other work situations that I've had, you know, at other studios, networks, the accountability mm. um, is is slow across a lot of industries, right? Uh, people who have generally been able to to do and say anything they've wanted are very slow to embrace accountability and change. Mm-hmm. Just slow, and and still in positions <laughs> of slow. privilege, so they don't necessarily have to. They don't. They generally don't have to, and until you know, people stand up and stand together and. Um, fight back, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and we talk about this all the time and people, because people are afraid of, of speaking up um, and they should be. I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I'm absolutely not going to lie. We've seen what has happened to the Weinstein, um, the people who, uh, who stood up and, and, and stood out and, and put themselves on the front lines. Um, that first round of, of women that were very vocal, <laughs> There was a concerted effort, and, and it all has come out publicly, you know, of 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 hunting those women, yes. of of torturing those women uh, psychologically, um, of tracking them, of making them feel um, mentally unstable, and then using that 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 perceived instability against them to to try to negate their their testimony and and their truth. What I can say as a truth teller is that there are concerted efforts to hunt you, to track you, to track your family members um, in an effort to destabilize you, hoping to catch, you know, um, have a have a paparazzi or camera person catch you in a moment of despair and then to use those moments to 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 justify um, trying to discredit you. So when we talk about being allies and we talk about being truth tellers, understand that the people who get to that microphone first, who are the first people to tell their to tell the truth, not just their truth, the truth, are often the first people with their heads cut off. And there has to be people standing behind them saying, me, you know, me too. This is this is real. This is happening. Me too has to mean something more than a hashtag, something more than um you know, a, a a spiritual movement. It has to be a real movement where the cavalry has to arrive. What What do you, you know? I mean, but even truth tellers have feelings and have anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I would imagine that. I, I I don't know, but I mean, 
did did the Weinstein trial did did when you read about something that is either a toxic workplace incident, a harassment incident, does it trigger anxiety in you? And what do you do with those feelings? Because you Absolutely. are very much out there on the front lines. Absolutely, because you're seeing what happens in yeah, real time. Yeah, That is the point that they're trying to make. I know I'm toxic. I know I do all this. But you see what happens right. when you speak out about so it. So stay scared. No and one will believe it. you. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to have a ripple effect. It's supposed to send a message to everyone else that you will not be believed. You will be targeted. You will lose your, your, your job, future opportunities, your reputation. Um, and, and they hope you lose your mind, that you lose your soul, that you will, that your soul will be for sale in order to, uh, you know, keep the status quo in place. That is the goal. Trying to fight past that, you know, that's why I'm like, wow, if not me, then who? You know, I can't just call myself an act- activist or an advocate and 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 it's it's really just for for retweets and and to make sure my timeline is 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 clear and and I'm not really taking any risk. Um, what is the point of 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 and I'm using my finger quotes here making it to kiki with the people who've been oppressing me? <laughs> I, that's not I don't not for me. Um but but in, for me, success has to look differently. And for me, success has to look like being a real advocate and really being on the front lines and figuring out a way of addressing my anxiety in the face of being a truth teller. Well, how do you? Um, I mean, how do you besides I mean, I mean, imagine you, you work out a lot, but like, well, yeah, where, I work out a lot. But I also put all those feelings. With, yeah. With my therapist. Yeah. <laughs> with with professional, you know, caregivers and. And, and this is, you know, and this is the, the the privilege that I that I enjoy. I have the means to to go to therapy, you know, more than once a week mm-hmm. if necessary. Mm-hmm. That I can Skype my therapist. That I can not just therapists, um, any range of of mental health care providers, um, whether that be uh, the clergy, whether that be um, and 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 in this time of 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 crisis and, and, and social isolation, I have enough Wi-Fi that I can Skype someone. I have enough, um, you know, uh, resources that I can reach out to shamans. I can reach out to spiritual healers. I can reach out to (laughs) mediums. If I want, I can reach out to my therapist. I can reach out to trained professionals and, and, and understanding that privilege even more, um, in a time of, of widespread crisis that, we need those people who who have the ability and the privilege to speak out to speak out if you have, an, have the ability to address um your your anxiety and for me to address my PTSD to address um you know depression um and still fight we need you or or something even as as recently as last week where we're at the, you know, trying to be, you know, better allies, you know, to the LGBTQ plus community as parents of a of a trans child. I'm 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 taking on, you know, my my former bosses and and trying to do, you know, trying to do what's right. And I I was getting pressure to be clear about who I was endorsing for president mm. or who I was voting for uh, before the California primaries, and I was afraid. I was looking at Ava DuVernay's, you know, timeline. Mm-hmm. She's a friend and, and I follow her. And she was being attacked for talking about who she was going to vote for. And I got scared. Mm. And I didn't say that I was voting for, you know, Elizabeth Warren. Mm. And 
you know, when she had to drop out of the race, I couldn't sleep because all I could think about is I'm 47. I I have enough, you know, resources and money and fame and this and that. And, you know, I, I married somebody who has the same. And if I can't, if I'm afraid to just say who I'm going to vote for. But surely that's okay to say, you know what, I can't take on one more thing. Like, surely that is an important piece of being an adult as well, right? It It is. And, but I have been, like, you know, really challenging myself to to really be clear within myself was this a, was this an act of self-care mm. or was this just selfish because I didn't want my timeline to be in a, in the shambles I, I want to come back to your to your legendary like frankly wit and I read in an interview I think it was in the New York Times that you appear to be a natural extrovert and you're an advocate of sexual assault victims. You've been that way for over 20 years. That when you're when you're out there, when you're talking to people, when you're being that ally, when you're on your book tour, uh, the reporter said you feel a deep need to be emotionally available, open and talking. But, you know, I've also noticed that you reference social anxiety sometimes. And I wonder yes. perhaps if you are, like me, like many of us, an introvert or socially anxious and you sort of use your verbal skills and your great social skills almost as an armor, or it's something that you put on, but you also have to take off sometimes. Yeah. And take I that mean, minute. I, when I was meeting with a shaman, this is where you start to sound like a wacky Hollywood actress. So I was meeting with a shaman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> true story, though. No joke. I was meeting with a shaman, and, and he said, you are surrounded by rape energy. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, whoa. And, and I, I was like, Please break that down. Feel and free and to you break were that raped. Down. I should I should just tell and, and I was the act, you know obviously I was actually raped and I'm very open about about being a sexual assault survivor um, at 19. Um, but I, and he and, and he said you are constantly put in positions and situations that are out of your control. Things are constantly happening to you that you have to deal with, and certainly deal with in a very public way. That you did not ask for, nor that, nor did you want, mm. and I was like, "Whoa, that is accurate." And part of that is having to deal with people socially, whether that's at an event that I have signed up for, or randomly in Target or the grocery store, or you know, last night walking to get you know ice cream with my husband. Um, and and there is a demand for transparency and access. And pleasantness at all times, regardless of what I actually may be feeling. You can't draw boundaries. I cannot draw boundaries because then people can will then talk about there's whole, you know, blogs dedicated to bad experiences with celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I live in fear of of that or I live in fear of that one time somebody who is really feeling like they're drowning, really feel like, feeling like they are screaming into a hurricane and no one is hearing them, coming across me and needing that connection and crossing me at a time where I might feel like I just don't have it. And I would never be able to forgive myself if I was not available to that person. And the reality is I, know, I don't know when somebody is in that place you know, so I try to just be as if I am in public or if I am making myself available online, that I am 
as accessible and as open and as kind and as compassionate as I can be. Um, but that just means I, I have no boundaries. Well, what do you do then? Do you, do, you, do you have to literally hide or be alone when you need to take stock and get that alone time to recharge? Yeah. 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 When, when some people are like, oh, God, I bet you hate traveling. And I'm like, um, a, me traveling is like because there's an expected silence, mm-hmm. right, when you're on an airplane. If I have my headphones on, there is an expectation of, of privacy and solitude that people, for the most part, not everybody, uh, for the most part, respect. Right. When I'm in my car, um, when I'm on the toilet, I just I just try to stretch those times out as long as possible, you know. Um, But the reality (laughs) is most of my life is in a public space, even in my own, you know, home. Um, I, I am called upon to be any and all things at all times, which I think a lot of us. Well, you're a working mother. Right. So so at at any level, you are always in demand physically, emotionally and and otherwise. Um, But yeah, boundaries are boundaries when you have PTSD, social anxiety, fear, like just a fear of of a a terror that there is a feeling of terror in my entire body, when my arms can go numb and my fingers feel tingly and my armpits itch and they just, it's flop sweat all over my body. Um, when someone can touch, like touches my shoulder, right? Whether that's my husband, when I'm just not expecting him or a stranger, the response is the same, the same. The physical response is the same. And everyone's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean to, you know, scare you. And they get offended. Mm-hmm. Like, how dare I have this reaction? I even deal with this with, with Dwayne. And the hurt in his face when, I, when I, I turn around and I'm in just, it's just terror, you know. Um, Do you talk, I, I think for listeners, this will be valuable for, for our many listeners who have PTSD. Do you tell people in your life, look, I'm so sorry, this triggers me. It's not personal here's what might happen? Like, is there a way that you you sort of try to draw boundaries by being open about it? How do you handle it? How do you prepare people for what you I do? try to talk about it as much as possible yeah. because I know I'm not the only one, right? And because I'm kind of constantly moving in, in different cities and different places in my personal life, in my private life, in my work life, um, I try to just be as open and honest and transparent as often as I can, hoping that maybe someone read an article or saw, you know, listened to a podcast or or saw an interview where they're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't sneak up on Gab <laughs> because it may not end the way I want it to end. And when you were dating um, Dwayne, did you say to him, like, here's some instances that might you might that I might freak out and here's what you need to know? No, really? No, because I because I was afraid. And huh. I think a lot of us are afraid of being completely transparent, even with the ones we love, because we don't want to appear defective. Mm. You know, a, a lot of us have 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 been too transparent too fast. And, you know, in a relationship, in a relationship, in a work environment, yeah. um, you know, it, it's and that's scary. You know, um, say, say like, more about that. Like what, what do you mean by that? What 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 does that mean to you in a work environment? Maybe. You know, I mean, like, well, I'm an actor, so I'm constantly in <laughs> on different sets, right. right? There's constantly new people. And, you know, me being, you know, one of the executive producers on our show and me being, you know, the number one on the call sheet and me, it, you know, I, I don't have the luxury always of of hiding, hmm. um, you know, of having to to make sure that I am making sure other people are, are comfortable 
you know, um, in my in 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 a work environment that I ha- I am responsible for. Um, when I want to be hiding, mm-hmm. you know, when I physically want, there are times where I I just say, can you please move my chair? I, I just need it. I just need a minute to kind of pull it together today. I don't really have it today. And even saying that is terrifying. And I'm in charge. I'm the boss. And I and I'm and I'm terrified of appearing weak or not together. And I recognized that the more I'm just like honest, people are like, girl, me neither. Mm-hmm. And they they people will give you grace oftentimes when you least think they will or compassion so many people are in the same boat but because we don't talk about it because there's so much shame surrounding you know um ptsd and and anxiety and depression and and um fear of social interactions even when you're in a you know a, a job or a school where you that's kind of part in it's built in you'll be surprised how many people are like Thank you for saying this and thank you for giving me permission. Thank you for leading and showing us that it's okay to, you know, to take a minute. And people give you a minute. And uh, and sometimes all you need is is to have a minute and to self-talk. And, like, sometimes for me it's pulling into a parking spot at a, um, at a grocery store. I There have been times, and it kind of comes and goes over the last 20-some-odd years, where I have this feeling of I'm going to be robbed or you know carjacked or Mm. something terrible is going to happen it's like insert worst case scenario here the second I pull into a a, um a parking spot and I I have to sit in my car and tell myself that the likelihood of of you being robbed or you know the likelihood of something terrible happening right now is very low it's okay you're going to be okay you know just count You've got your list. You know, it's going to be okay. You know, and and for me, like making lists gives me comfort Mm -hmm. and calm. You know, I I don't know how that works with everyone else, but it was something that um, when I when I first, 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 it it was almost like a week after I was raped. I my workman's comp uh, kicked in and um, it paid for therapy after I was raped. Mm. And one of the you know, something that one of those therapists said was um, sometimes making lists can make you feel like you are back in control um, of a situation. Do you make schedules too? Like do you schedule out the day? (laughs) Schedules, like lists, mapping out um, driving instructions now with, you know, this again, this is before Google Maps and Waze and all those, you know, different driving apps. Um, I used to have a Thomas guide and I would map out when I would have to make left-hand turns at uncontrolled signals. That would be enough of a trigger where I just... It was. It's like I would like damn near black out. Like I full flop sweat, full terror, just massive anxiety attack. Having to make a left hand turn, you know, without a turn signal. Was that about seizing control, where you felt like you didn't have control? What was that about? Figuring out a way to map out a day to fe- give myself to take back some power, yeah, and to take back some control, um, and and give myself a little bit of of um normalcy. The problem, of course, later, as you, you know, find out life happens when you're busy making plans um, and making lists, anything that would disrupt that could throw off my whole day, mm-hmm. throw off my whole week. I, I would have a month where I couldn't sleep because I'd made a plan and something happened. Well, that's life, right? <laughs> so I had to develop more coping mechanisms. But to this day, um, I still have my lists. It just, j- even making the list, whether I stick to it or 
life happens, gives me a bit of calm. Um, mentally mapping out a grocery store of like the aisle, the route I'm going to go in Target um, gives me a little bit of calm. Um, self-talk mm-hmm. gives me some calm. What do you say? Do you um, have favorite sayings? You're going to be okay. Mm. You're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And where do you feel safe? <laughs> in the bathroom, <laughs> on the toilet, <laughs> by myself. Um, I mean, to be oh, that guy, because so I'm you. trying to think of other situations, but it's it's generally by myself. Like, I, I am confident in me. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm going to do. I don't always know what anyone else is going to do. Like, I would love to say that my child offers, you know, um, me some comfort, but... I don't know if anyone follows my child, Kavia James. She is. She has her. She has her own. Um, you know, they're not robots, are they? <laughs> they are not robots. They do. She does exactly what the hell she pleases, and it gives me a lot of anxiety. Um, so no, I mean, it's my husband. He does what he, you know, he wants to do. Everyone, they're their own people. Um, all I, 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 I take comfort in in me. I take comfort in my soul um, that I know that. When I wake up, my intention is not to do harm mm. um, to myself or to anyone else. And that gives me peace. That gives me feelings of protection. That gives me feelings of comfort. Listening to, I mean, you know, YouTube has, you know, a thousand and one suggestions. But meditation music that is like, um, that says healing and grounding protective meditation music, right? Like, <laughs> Calling on the, you know, on the universe. The warm light flooding your body. Yes. I don't know. I couldn't tell you my seventh chakra from a fifth. I don't know. I don't exactly know how far my aura goes. um, (laughs) But just the idea of it is comforting. Um, And sitting on the toilet, listening to that music, playing words with friends, you know, locking the door so no one is opening it. Um, That is where I feel my most peaceful. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. You know, it's so funny, though, because um, I'm like nodding my head ferociously. I my husband will always say to me because I'm I'm like you. I am I'm very I'm very self-sufficient in myself and I don't feel lonely in that, um, which it sounds like you don't either. But he's he always worries that I'm lonely in it. You know, um, I think it looks alarming. Mm. Right. You know, I mean, in, I, luckily, you know, I think that between the two of us, we have people who don't like the look of that and that that it that is nice that's sweet it's it's unnecessary though yeah. right like 
I am, I am in comfort. I am in peace. I have given myself this grace to have this time. I, I, I had a, a really traumatic week. It was the week that, that Kobe um, and, and Gigi um, passed away. Uh, that Sunday, um, that was just a massive trigger, just the, 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 the randomness mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. The idea that they, they they too probably had a plan and it it was just the worst case scenario that, that could have possibly happened. And that Thursday, a friend of mine, a girlfriend of mine that was like one of my party friends and one of, you know, a, a girlfriend of a girlfriend that was just always around and full of life and, and amazing and had made the, the conscious choice to not have kids and to not be married and was living her best life and was found dead. Oh, my gosh. Um, and she was found dead on Thursday, and they they reasoned that she'd probably passed away on Tuesday, Ugh. but they hadn't found her until Thursday. And it caused this widespread panic and fear in our in our group, right, in our crew and amongst her friends of people who'd made similar decisions, right? And it made us all really reevaluate our choices, right? And whether we had out of a fear of being alone, out of a fear of, you know, not having the families that we assumed we would have, you know, when we were in our teens and 20s. And did we did we make fear-based decisions, you know, to have families and to, to get married or to couple up or to whatever? Um, and, and out of a fear of being alone, of this very thing, of dying alone and nobody finding our body. Yes. And it was this it, I mean, as you could imagine, it's traumatizing, and it's it just sent us all spinning, and it and it sent me spinning in this in the same few days, in a different way, and I kept coming back to this feeling of and 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 trying to understand isolation versus loneliness versus choice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And one of one of her friends, one of uh, Joyce's friends, and Joyce is my girlfriend who passed away said, okay, let, let us be really clear here. Joyce died alone, but she was not lonely. And you need to know that there is a, there is a, a, a world of difference. Her life was full. She had an amazing life that she chose and loved, and it was full and amazing in pre- precisely the way that she wanted to live it. She might have died without others around but she was not alone she was not lonely and take comfort in that mm-hmm. and i and it started me really thinking about my choice at at times to to be alone and how much comfort i find in that and how much joy i find in that and how necessary um it was when i got married and when I became, you know, a stepmother, um, and when it, when I became a mother, how important my alone time is, and how important it is for people to respect that time, as not a a, a, a concern, um, a need for a need for alarm, but something to to be okay with, and to be with yourself, because at the end of the day, if you can't be with yourself, you can't be good to other people. I really, I truly believe that. Um, the last thing I want to I want to ask you about um, you gave a speech in 2012 that it seems to me was a real turning point in your life mm-hmm. at the Essence Black Women in Hollywood luncheon and I watched it and and when I when I you you wrote about it and it, it seemed like you were emerging 
a little bit from a hiding place and that you hinted at this, that you you had been sort of hiding behind your wit and your ability to talk about other people, maybe in Hollywood, in your profession, in a way that was very entertaining and very funny, but also built distance and almost like took humanity and community away from other actresses and you. Mm-hmm. And then you just sort of unmasked it all and you said, this is crazy. This is wrong. Instead of going after each other, we have to be in community together, especially as black actresses. You got a standing ovation. If I'm not wrong, Oprah started to tear up with Gail King. Um, what inspired you to, to just go for it and stop and, and stop? And it seemed, you said, like, stop working from a place of fear and maybe hiding behind uh, your personality almost. Yeah. I mean, I I had gone through divorce. Uh, A show I had been on got canceled. I um, was in deep therapy and I was starting to work with a life coach. Mm. And just, you know, not being able to identify. uh, She said, make a list of of 10 things that make you happy. And I couldn't, you know, like my my first few things were food items. Um, (laughs) And one of those was like a fake food item. It was like fake imitation crap. And she was like, oh, like, well, I don't even know where to begin with you. it started there, really doing a deeper dive of how did I get here? It's easy, you know, when you're when you're when you reach rock bottom and like with a divorce and, you know, and when everybody is doing foul things and bad behaviors all around and there's but if if I get to the microphone first and I'm the more famous person, it's very easy to be like all him, none of me, I am the victim, he is the villain. Um and let me skate scot-free because my brand will be buoyed by me ve- being the victim in this, you know, marital discord, right? right? And that's an age-old, you know, PR playbook that that everyone, a lot of people use, not, not just people in Hollywood. Um, and I kind of wanted to face myself because um, even though I, I could get to the microphone first, I, he's he wasn't, it wasn't him, all him. There was a lot that was me. Mm. Um and I and I was just sick of lying. I was sick of being that kind of, you know, victim. I wanted to be a survivor of my own life. I'm not just, you know, laying here and all this all these things are happening to me. That was part of it. Again, toxic work environments, yeah. toxic relationships, you know, making peace with the toxic parts of my childhood um, and my upbringing. But at some point, there are things that I contributed that were toxic to all of those things. And it's time to be honest to be given an award about like fierce and fearless but i'm i'm going to just get up here and lie mm. and i'm just going to talk speak in these odd clichés um in a room full of people that i love in a room full of people that i might have also maligned in a room full of people who i i am inspired by and scared of what is the most impactful thing i can do with my time with this microphone if if i'm really doing the work how about i try the truth and to get that kind of response to the truth and being transparent really changed everything for me. And it made me realize I was on the right path, that truth and, and truth-telling and transparency and sharing this in, in community, whether that's community of Black actresses, Black women, the Black community, uh, women, you know, uh, gl- the global community, whatever that, the, you know, where all of my intersections all meet, mm-hmm. I, get, I get so much more fulfillment 
from telling the truth and creating more community and knowing that my words might be of help or of service than any check I may cash. And when I got to that realization that my my joy can't be bought, my joy comes from peace and joy and grace, and whether that's what I'm offering myself or what I'm helping hopefully to facilitate with other people, there has to be a different definition of success for me. Because there's too many of us out here walking wounded, you know, trying. And, and success perhaps is building community. Um, and, and the first step is just talking, connecting, communicating, telling the truth so somebody else can feel comfortable to tell their truth. So then somebody else can feel comfortable to get help. And then once you get help, you can figure out how to tell people to get help. And then you know, and then it goes on and on. You share resources and you share coping mechanisms and you do podcasts and you do all <laughs> of these things that create a bigger island. Right. So when you felt like you were alone on that island, oh, you're like, oh, you know, it's overpopulated. Look at all of us here trying to get help, help and, and offer help and get healing. And look at us all. Um, even us, even us bathroom hiders. We have a community exactly. of bathroom hiders. Absolutely. Because when you're in the bathroom, you might have your phone. You might be tweeting. You can tweet out, <laughs> sure. you know, links to resources. And, or, or maybe you can talk about who you are going to vote for. Because mm-hmm. maybe creating a sense of community that's going to stand up to bullies. Maybe that was the way, and we'll never know. And maybe this is a massive learning lesson that if you stand together in your truth, whatever that may be, we are so much more powerful and unstoppable than when we choose fear. And I'm and I'm speaking to you from the front lines of somebody who at 47 caved to fear, at at, at 17 cave to fear at 27 cave to fear um, and every day I make the choice um, and some days are better than others so uh, you know you have to let yourself off the hook at times as well but also hold yourself accountable yeah. um, and just vow to do better today than you did yesterday know that your your collective truth and is power um, is healing and it makes a freaking difference it really really does oh, Gabrielle Union thank you Thank you so much for spending time. I wish you good health, lots of space, and um, you're such an inspiration. Thank you. No, thank you so much. That's it for today's show. Thank you to my producer, Mary Dew, and thanks to the team at HBR, to our guests for sharing their experiences and truth. Thanks to our advertisers, and for you, the listeners. I'm so grateful for your feedback. You can always email anxiousachiever at gmail.com or tweet me at Mora AM. And if you love the show, tell your friends or subscribe and leave a review. From HBR Presents, this is Mora Aaron's Mealy.